So if you have your Bibles, you're in Luke chapter 5. I don't think that I'll be very long this evening, but I have to say I think it'll be very helpful. I don't think it'll be as, I think we have most, all the, med- the motivation we need within a service like tonight. We could probably have a, a word of prayer, an invitation, and all of us would have something God is speaking to. How many would say God's already spoken to me tonight in some way? I know he has for me. He's challenged me, and I'm very thankful. We don't want to neglect the preaching of God's word. If you would, please look at Luke chapter 5. And we see here the call of Levi. Levi, otherwise known as Matthew. And it's three places in the Bible that he is called. He gives his own testimony in the book of Matthew and then the book of Mark chapter 2. He shares again about the call of, of, um, of Levi. It's interesting that God, uh, the Lord Jesus, called many 12 people to serve with him uh, on a day-to-day basis for three and a half years. We know that uh, he came to the earth to give his life a ransom for many, to pay for our sin. But the second most important thing that Jesus did while on the planet was training 12. Now, there were more than 12 that he trained. At one time, there were 70 who went off into the ministry and came back. And there were hundreds. When he went back to heaven, there were 120 devoted servants of Christ that were waiting for the Spirit of God to come. But he gave a special attention to 12. None of them would be pastors, to my knowledge. Most of their jobs would be, evangelistically speaking, being missionaries. Thomas would go to to India. They would be spending time elsewhere whenever uh, James, the first pastor, he was was working in the church and and he was one of the main disciples who died because Herod cut his head off. And then they, they got a little bit of excitement because of that, so he went and tried to find Peter and arrested Peter. And the Lord let James have his head removed from his body and go to heaven a little earlier, and Peter left the Judean region and went to other places and and kind of fell off the pages of our leadership of the church of Jerusalem. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, took over the pastor leadership. But he trained these 12 that they would be with him. And they, they were really a very unique group. Almost all of them were from Galilee. They were country bumpkins from the northern part of Israel. They lived around that, that, that northern part of the Galilean Sea. And, of course, uh, Andrew and John and James and Peter, all of them were fishermen. James and John, their son, their dad was a Zebedee. He was very famous and very influential as a fisherman on that, that area. He picked Simon the Zealot, who was somewhat against, uh, against the government. And he would have definite strong opinions against the the Roman government of the day, possibly. And Bartholomew and Nathaniel, or Nathaniel and Nathaniel, the same person, and he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He had already had bias against people in that country. There were lots of challenges with them. Um, The only one probably from Judea and the white-collar worker there was Judas. And, of course, we know that Judas didn't turn out very good. But he was the one they gave the money to because he was probably the educated one. He was the one who went to the Harvards or the Yales or the, the Ivy League. And so they said, you know, he can be, the, he can be the, uh, the, uh, the treasurer. But the Lord chose one man who was a publican. A publican was a Jewish man who uh, 
It was in cohorts with the Roman government. And he was, his job was to collect taxes from Jewish people in that region. And uh, people despised them. You might know of other publicans. Remember, Jesus brought to their attention, remember the, the Pharisee going to the temple and he prayed, or into, and he prayed and he said, Lord, you know I'm so good and I'm not like this publican over here. And that publican bathed on his chest and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Zacchaeus was the chief of the publicans. He was the hierarchy. He had other publicans working for him. And oftentimes they would take a section that Rome gave them and they would bid on that section. Potentially say, you know what, there's this much, uh, there's much taxes out there and you, can, you have to pay the taxes. Let's say this section was $30,000, but anything you got over $30,000 you could keep for you. And everybody knew that they were, they were, for the most part, they really struggled to be honest. Because whatever they told you you owe, you could count on it, it probably wasn't that high. They already had their cut, and then they, they tried to get more out of you. And they had the Roman, the Roman police to help them to collect those things. And so they were oftentimes despised. I do not know the background of Levi. What I do know is that Matthew or Levi, of course, God used him and put him into the 12. He wrote one of the books of the Bible, the book of Matthew. He wrote primarily with the Jewish thought in mind. He wrote for he's Jesus' king. But he was definitely a publican and he was collecting there and and. I don't know if he attended several of the meetings that Jesus had. I don't think Jesus just picked every one day, went and picked all of his disciples. Some of them, he called them in, in stages. Where one, he said, where do you live? And he said, well, come and see. And they came and saw him. Others of them, and maybe later on, he said, hey, you guys want to follow me? And they would leave their nets and follow him. Another time later on, they would really make a commitment. They left all and followed him. I don't think when... When we see the story of Peter, James, and John, it was the first encounter with Jesus. They had already had some encounter, and it was some, somewhat of a progression. By the way, that's kind of how you and I, uh, to some extent, live our Christian life. Um, you got saved, and, and little by little, every day, little by little in every way, our Jesus is changing us. And we're, we're making progressions. And by the way, if you stop doing that, watch out. The Christian life is not made for you to plateau very long. You plateau very long and you're going to be going down. You're going to get away from the Lord. And I understand that we can't always press on the upward way. Not, no Christian life is just like here to, whoo, unbelievable uh, euphoric state. But it is a process of gradually growing in the Lord. That's why Peter would say, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm assuming that somewhere along the line, Jesus had his eye on Peter, on, on Levi. He, he watched him. Maybe when he was preaching the masses, or maybe when he was in the home healing and helping that paralytic man, maybe he looked over the door and he saw Levi standing there. Maybe he saw him collect taxes in Capernaum or some place, and yet he would see him at the meetings and he could tell there was some sort of um, interest in who Jesus was. And the Bible says that after he had, now he had already picked up Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they're with him, and 
Now he's continuing to pick up other, uh, other disciples. He comes and he finds Levi. Let's take a note of a couple things about that, if we can, please. Verse number 27, after these things, that means after he had gone about doing good and, and uh, people were amazed at what, uh, what they saw him do and how he healed the guy there in that house. He went forth and he saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of customs, a place where he would receive the taxes that the Jewish people owed the, go the government. And he said unto them, follow me. Said unto him, follow me. And he left all and rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him, them. Then just to real quick, I'll come back to this passage in a moment, but we find here that Jesus walks up to his workplace. If Zealot, Simon the Zealot was against the government, Matthew worked for the government. He was an IRS agent, collecting the taxes, if you will. And he comes to him and said, you know, I want you to follow me. And the Bible says that he just left his ledger and his job, and he went and stood up, and he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. On the same time, he was so happy that he went about and he gathered his other employees that were publicans as well, that were a part of his company. And he hosted them in a meeting with Jesus and his disciples. He rejoiced with the fact that he had left his job but he and to follow Jesus. He had left what he knew and no doubt said goodbye to some of the, the, uh, the income and the the, the, the pleasures of life he would have, but he didn't seem to be a bit sad about it. Matter of fact, he celebrated with him having a party and followed the Lord Jesus Christ and, and invited Jesus, his disciples, and his colleagues to come to a gathering. And of course, at that gathering, with, when he was feeding everybody, some scribes and Pharisees that were from that region came up. They didn't come to Jesus first, but Jesus was willing to answer their question. He came to their disciples and he began to, they began to say, what are you doing? Why is your Jesus and why are you eating with publicans and sinners? By the way, you'll find that scribes and Pharisees are most of the time sitting. They're not engaged in service. They're sitting. Whenever he healed the paralytic man and came down from the roof, they're all sitting watching things. And by the way, I'll just say to you real carefully and, and graciously, but be careful when you're critical. It's oftentimes, and when I be critical, I'm critical. It's often because I'm not engaged in the ministry. People become armchair quarterbacks sometimes. So fellas, he couldn't throw a football 10 yards and he gets mad at someone else because they can't throw it 40. He couldn't run across the yard, much less go 30 yards. And he complains, ah, stupid guy. No, people who sit around and watch the world go by are not engaged in ministry, oftentimes become critical. And the scribes and Pharisees are prime examples of that. And they come up and they don't go to Jesus, but they go to the disciples and say, hey, what are you doing? What's your master? If he's all that, why is he doing this? And the disciples, I don't know what they said, but they didn't have to say much too long because Jesus came back and he said, you know, People that are sick, people that are whole, people that are healthy, 
They don't need any help. That's you. You don't need me. He said, but people that are sick, they need a physician. So I, I'm going to spend my time with people that need some help since you don't need my help. And I say to you, one of the reasons we serve God is because there are people out there that need a physician. And they know it. They know they need help. They're miserable as they can be. A lot of folks, they don't need help. Some of the folks in this room, you don't need help. You're here. Thank God for your duty and your presence. But you don't need me. You don't need a church. You don't need anybody. You're just, you're just glad to, to sit and watch the world go by. I'll tell you when you really know you need somebody, and that's whenever you start serving. If it's been a while since you've served the Lord, uh, it's, it, when you start serving God, one thing that you'll find real quickly, I need the help of God. You start teaching a Sunday school class and you'll feel real little real fast. You start building a bus route, you're going to feel real little real, real fast. You're going to feel real needy real fast. You raise your head to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, even if you start tithing, you're going to need the help of God. By the way, if you're not tithing, you should start. Getting people to give is not God's way of getting money. He doesn't need your money, doesn't need mine. It's God's way of raising kids and raising good Christians. I find that people who stop tithing or, or people who don't tithe are always going to be challenged because of the fear of God they do not have in their heart and life. But I want to share with you a couple things real quickly. What made, what made uh, Levi leave a lucrative job and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? What made him want to serve? Instead of self-serving himself and, and packing his own his own uh, coffers, coffers, if you will. What made him say, okay, I'll follow you? I think number one is what makes us serve is our motivation, and really it rests upon our opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, I think Levi realized that Jesus was the Son of God. And the higher you have an opinion of Jesus Christ, the more you're willing to do for him. Whether it be serve, give, labor, Soul win. Some of you can't even imagine yourself ever giving a tract to somebody, much less going through the gospel message. You know what would change that? If you get on fire for who Jesus is. The higher you see Jesus, high and lifted up, the more you'll say, here am I. Some of you can't see yourself on a mission field. You can't see yourself giving 15 or 20 or 30% of your income to the Lord. You can't see it. But the higher you go in your spiritual your spiritual journey and your opinion of Jesus Christ, the more you're willing to do for him. All of us have a ceiling of commitment. All of us have a willingness to what we can do and a, and a willingness to what we'll do. And, and you know what that raises? The higher we have an opinion of Jesus. I find he was motivated by the person of Jesus. I think he saw and thought, found out who he was. By the way, Jesus is the king of heaven. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. There is nobody more powerful than him, Satan included. And he knows everything about heaven, and he says to us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Even Moses in the Old Testament, the Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 11, he chose the riches of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. Even Moses, what kept him doing, he did. Why would Abraham leave the earth of the Chaldees and take a lifelong camping trip? You know why? Because he realized who Jesus was. His person, his promises. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10 that anything we do for God will not be in vain. Hebrews chapter 11 said we must, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. For him that comes to God must believe two things about God, that he is and that he is a rewarder. You know what will keep you pure in your relationships? If you, if you know that anything you do for God will be rewarded. When you, when you realize that it's between you and the Lord, you know what will take that, that pornography off your phone? It won't be near much a fight if you understand who Jesus is. You elevate your fear of God. You know, it'll help you be careful what you say, what you text, what you do, is if you have an illumined understanding of who Jesus is. His person, His promises, and His power. I can't help but think that Levi had listened to him enough to know if he asked me, I'm going to say yes. By the way, if God asked you to do something, would you say yes to him? It's not hard to say yes. It's not hard to say no to something when there's a greater yes. I can't even imagine what he was doing if he was taking ledgers or saying, yeah, I need to pay this much. And then he saw Jesus. He said, you want to follow me? He said, yes, I've been waiting for this. How many of us are waiting for God to use us? He had a motivation. Now, he had a model, and that's of Jesus himself. Jesus told him, come and see. He told his disciples, come and see. He ordained 12 that they would be with him. Apostle Paul says it in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says that you have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. You know, everybody needs a living example of someone who's committed one of the reasons I serve God today in part is because I watch other people serve God. I watch my dad serve God. My parents never owned their own home. We lived in government housing projects, never drove a nice car, much less a new car. That I remember, it just seemed like all of our cars were ragtag. My dad went to heaven and didn't, was never a homeowner. Lived in, you know, but my, but my dad loved Jesus. He loved the things of God. He loved his kids. He paid for school bills and invested for us to, to be. He was stood in our corner. When he couldn't be a king, he decided to be a kingmaker. When he couldn't live his dream, he decided to help somebody else do that. My precious mom, my good pastors, my youth workers, my bus workers, older men and women in our church who believed in us and helped us go to camp and Loved my mom and my dad. And remember one time our, our family, we just didn't have enough, enough for Christmas. My dad was all tore up at Christmas time. I know that when he was growing up, Christmas must have been a very a tumultuous time in his life. I didn't understand it growing up, but he would get so irritable and frustrated because he never felt like he could do enough for his six kids and my mom. Remember one time a group of people in our church got together and they brought toys and, and food to our house in the back of a of a, um, of a station wagon. Remember what those are? I don't know if you know what a station wagon is. I remember opening up that door and all those toys came out and my dad just stood there in his big old cheeks and cried. And this is because of the Lord, guys. This is God. This is the Lord. I'm thankful that I had men and women in my ministry and in my life growing up that loved us and helped us. And now... Tonight, while I'm preaching, my three brothers are preaching. My sister's in a Muslim country. My other sister, her beautiful daughter's here. 
because I had, a, I had an inspiration. I had people that stepped up and loved, modeled Christianity and modeled service. I think Levi, number one, he understood who Jesus was. He had a model in Jesus. And boy, you and I need to be a model for somebody else. We got plenty of models in this room. We got people that have just been doing the right thing the right way for a whole long time. Every one of us are recipients of those who have gone on before us. We go to a church that's 135 years old. And most of the people who built this church and paid for the pew you and I are sitting on and help us and walk on these buildings and live in, these, in buses, all those things are people who've already gone to be with Jesus. Just recently, Miss Vera G. Stephanie died, or died, went home to be with the Lord, but her family was in a terrible car accident and they took the money that they got from their inheritance and bought buses for First Baptist Church of Hammond. Continue that, that progress. Thank God for people who drove buses years ago, some men who can't drive today, but they used to drive. And now it's time for someone else to step up and do it. We got an example for that. I think Matthew did it because he had a mindset. He was ready to do it. There wasn't, there wasn't I don't think, I'm, I'm sure the, the soldier and the people said, hey, man, what are you doing? You, got a good, you can't, hey, I'm ready. He was ready to step up and do it. I find that he was willing to relinquish some things. He was willing to say no to some stuff that, that would just earthly gain to say yes to something that was eternally significant. And then he rejoiced to serve the Lord. Well, God delivers from people who, I just have to work on the bus route. It's just rough. You know, I'd love to be going home, but I've got to vacuum the floor. It's really rough being a child of God, I tell you what. No. Now, that wasn't Matthew's thing. Matthew threw a party, invited the one who had chosen him and put him into this, this thing, and then got some other friends so they could get the same fire. He celebrated serving the Lord with gladness. Matthew's a beautiful testimony. I just want to share with you a couple thoughts real quickly. And, of course, greatness, there will always be people who will clamor for greatness. That's why you have American Idol and The Voice and and the championships, NBA and NHL and, and NASCAR and all those things, someone wants to be recognized for greatness. There will always be people clamoring for greatness. There's always a cost for greatness. If you want to be really a great athlete, you've got to say no to the brownies. I haven't successfully done that, but I think it's a good idea sometimes. If I ever... If I ever uh, get skinny, I think Miss Suzanne Maxwell will have to, to uh, hang up her kitchen duties, you know, because she brings me these brownies and things like that. Says it's healthy, but I don't think it is. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, uh, uh, there's a cost for being great. But maybe tell you the character of being great is service. And Jesus made that very clear in Matthew chapter 20 and I'll give you the reference. I won't read it with you right now. But the Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 25 to 28, the disciples were arguing who's the greatest. He told them in Mark chapter 9, who, what are you arguing about back there? And what they were arguing about, they didn't want to fess up about. But what they were arguing about is who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He said, you know, who's going to be the greatest? The servant. The greatest servant here will be the greatest there. 
The grace of thee is a servant of all. And we have a month of servants emphasis and doing something. I want everybody to do something. Not for my sake, not for the church's sake, but for your sake. This is expedient for you. Well, what does service do? I want to give you four things that service does. Number one, serving the Lord is a secret to greatness. When you serve God, that's the secret in God's opinion of being great. By the way, his ways are higher than and his thoughts and our thoughts. So the one who wrote the book says that he finds the greatest is the one who is finding the dirtiest towel. The person not having their foot washed, but the person who's washing the feet. The person who's finding something to be done. Seeing the need and taking the lead. The girl that signs up for the nursery and says, you know, I'll do that. The person who says, you know, I'm going to drive that bus. I only have a few more years left in my, in my life. I can, I can do that. I can work that bus route. Now think about the man who started First Baptist Church. He moved here at the age of 52 with his wife, rented a house in Hammond, and spent his days going out and telling people about Jesus Christ until he had enough people to have a Bible study in his house and then eventually get the upper room or the conference room of the Morton House Hotel. 52 years old. Many times you think of church planters are all 20s. Here's a guy, 52 years old. Aren't you glad he came to Hammond? Good night. Someone who said, you know, I, I don't have much more time to burn. I'm figuring this out. Let me get this done. Let's go. Two other people, I understand, came here previously trying to do something in Hammond. It was just too rough. The saloons and the, and the type of men that were here working in the uh, slaughterhouses and on the railroad, they were just too rough. They went back home. Then a 52-year-old man and his wife left. And thank God for Mrs. Hill. Thank God for someone who would follow her husband and say, you know what? You pick the garden. I'm here to help you. God gave you a garden. You tell me where to go, and I want to be a helpmeet for you. Thank God for her tenacity. I don't know her, but I'm looking forward to meeting her one day. But the greatness comes in service. Number two, Service is the secret of strong personal relationships. Whenever people get involved in service, that's when there's a strong connection that is made. People who are serving have deeper relationship than people who just watch people serve. You know who choir members really know real well? Choir members. You know who orchestra members know real well? You know who bus workers in, in a division or a, a section know good? They know the people in that bus route. There's a connection made, not only in those local areas, but it's amazing how God will platform you to be used in other areas. It's through service that we find greatness. It's through service we find strong, strengthening relationships. Some of you are lonely as a second verse of a Baptist hymn. We sing the first and last stanza, we live it out, and it's lonely. You know why you're lonely? You don't have friendships. It's because you're not, you know what fellowship is? Two fellows in the same ship. <laughs> you're not in the ship. You're not, you're not rowing. Now, I don't want to be unkind to you, but i tell you what, what you, you can pick up a lot of friendships by just getting engaged in ministry and serving the Lord. I'm not saying there's not loneliness. Sometimes I think of pastoral leadership as some of the loneliest responsibilities on the planet. Now, I'm not saying it for any sympathy. I'm just saying sometimes you can be lonely in a crowd. 
And I feel lonely sometimes, and you feel lonely sometimes. But I, I will say this, it's service, it's the secret to personal relationships. When you serve God together with other people, you're going to find a bond that God's going to give you together. It's very special, very needful. Also, serving the Lord is a secret to true spiritual life. I think you, you'll find that serving the Lord, you'll, you'll grow as you do things. And then lastly, serving the Lord requires obedience and dependence upon the Lord. Every once in a while, I'll meet someone and say, well, you know, my, my life is just so good, I don't need anything. You, you need to start doing something for God, and you'll find out you have a need for God. You get out in the deep end when you can't feel the bottom of the pool, you'll need the Lord. Sometimes we need the Lord just to help us get our faith promise commitment. <laughs> Sometimes we need the Lord to help us have strength and wisdom to know what to do, to raise another child or to, to help on a different ministry or get the strength to, to know how to disciple someone. or how you get, it, you get out there where you can't feel the bottom of the pool, you're going to find that service creates a dependence upon God. See, self-reliance robs us of two things we desperately need, and that is faith and prayer. Whenever you think that you don't need anything, and, and we're, we, don't find, we find ourselves just, we, we got this, then we're not praying the way we should pray, and we're not exercising faith in God the way we need to do. And one quick way to learn to have faith in God is to serve Him. And when you serve, you realize, I need Him in this situation, in this circumstance. And I think God will help us with that. I want to have a serving church. I want to be a part of a church that serves because, uh, because it is something that matters for eternity. Every member, a minister. Every saint, a servant. And could I say something you help me with it? All of us. All of us. Everybody. Serving the Lord till Jesus comes back.